Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today we have my friend Tim Bratz on the show. Tim is a rock star in real estate, has, has gone on to do uh, over 4,500 doors of multifamily throughout uh, the United States mostly kind of south uh, and east, south and eastern uh, United States. And this is a blue collar guy started with nothing, started out in brokerage and has grown a team that's that's buying, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar deals regularly, uh, even buying an island at some point, which we dive into, which is a really cool story, but very down to earth guy, um, self-made entrepreneur. And he's, he's figured it out. You know, he's made the mistakes. He's built the built the pieces. And now today he focuses on what he's really good at and the, his company's exploded. So I love talking to Tim. I love talking to guys like Tim that are real hardcore entrepreneurs that have gone out on their own dime, made all the mistakes and built a huge business that now employs a lot of people, pays investors millions of dollars, um, win-win situation all around this stuff this stuff that's why that's why i'm in this business right is because of stories like tim and so he's he's a real inspiration for um the aspiring operator for maybe the operator that's smaller and then it's good education for the passive investor so had a great conversation with tim i know you're going to enjoy it if you are not on the dje investor list and you want to see our future upcoming projects you can go to djetexas.com and schedule a quick call with our team or be added to the portal to see future projects so check that out if you're not already in the the deal flow there and if you're looking for coaching mentoring education and a network to plug in to accelerate your success as an operator or owner of these projects, we've got a free video course course for you at apartmenteducators.com. Incredible ecosystem there. Lots of our students doing deals, lots of great connections being made. And uh, this is a team sport. You don't do it alone. So if you're looking to be an operator, do bigger deals, go to apartmenteducators.com. Okay. Let's jump into the episode uh, with my friend, Tim Bratz. Here we go. Tim, welcome to the show. How are you? Excited to be here, man. Thanks for the invite, Devin. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, glad to have you on. I know you've been super busy for, for a long time. You've been doing commercial real estate for a long time. You've got your hands in a lot of deals, in a lot of markets, lots of exciting things going on. I'll say right out of the gate, you're a, a awesome social media follow. So if you're listening to this, follow Tim on social media. There's, there's killer stuff there in the commercial space. But before we get into what's going on now, let's, let's just kind of dial it back. For somebody that's listening that hasn't met you, hasn't come across your stuff, um, how'd you come to real estate? Why, why real estate? What, what happened there? Yeah, man. Uh, well, again, I appreciate you. appreciate the relationship and, and the friendship that we've had for the past couple of years. And uh, it's awesome to be here. So uh, any way that I can add value, please, you know, um, there's no question that's out of bounds or off topic. So awesome. um, as far as, you know, when, when I got started, man, I was, I was going through college when the market was going crazy last time, 03 to 07, everybody's making money in real estate. I remember meeting people with, you know, thinking, you know, if this guy's making money, I'm going to get rich in real estate if I get in, you know, so, so this idiot can do it. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a blue collar kid from Cleveland, Ohio. Um, after I graduated from college in 2007, my brother was living out in New York. I go out there. I thought you got involved in real estate by becoming a real estate agent. So I get my real estate license. And instead of going the residential route, somehow I parked my license with a commercial uh, kind of boutique brokerage. And I, I just brokered leases for offices and retail. And, uh, you know, I get the bottom of the barrel listings and I sure. knew that, but like I closed deals that were like 
$10,000 a month for 400 square feet on a 12 year lease term. And you're like, dang, there's more money in owning real estate than there is brokering real estate. So right. I started, I realized I want to become uh, an owner of real estate. And you know, I was in New York, crappy weather. I moved down to Charleston, South Carolina in 2008 and just went through the whole, you know, studying everything, buying all the courses, following the gurus and the blogs and the vlogs and all that stuff. And it was ready to start buying and 2008 bottom falls out. Right. So everybody's right. running from real estate, but it was kind of cool. Cause I got in at a good time and I bought my first house in 2009 uh, it was totally opposite of today's market, right? Today, there's money everywhere and there's properties are, are harder to come by. Down right. like 10, 10 or 12 years ago, um, dude, properties everywhere, right? Like you couldn't walk down the street without seeing two foreclosed houses that they were given away for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. Uh, but there was money nowhere, at least for a 23-year-old punk kid like me <laughs> right. in that market. And so I, uh, I ended up buying my first house on my credit card and just used my credit card to buy the house, fix it all up, sold it, made 14 grand in about a hundred days. And it was the biggest check I had made up to that point in my life. And I was love like, love it. Love it. So, okay. Credit card. So what'd you buy it for? Did you pull a cash advance out or how, I mean, how, how yeah. much was this house? Yeah, it was, dude, I found the cheapest house on the entire MLS. It was 25 grand and I went in low, right? So I go in, I, I got a $15,000 credit card limit. So I go in at 12, <laughs> they come back at 20. I come back at 14, which is my highest and best. Yeah. And yeah. Accepting it. And so I, uh, yeah, I essentially had a balance transfer check. And I just, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go and pay off some other credit cards. And I just wrote the check to myself, put it in my bank Love account, it. closed on the house. And then I had a couple thousand dollars saved up from broker and deals up in New York. And I just used that for three, four months while I renovated it. Didn't know how to sell it. Put some signs up in the yard, had an open house. One of the neighbors came in and, and paid $33,000 for it. So um, that was the first for renovated house. Yeah. yeah I mean, it was, it was a pig, dude. It was just lipstick <laughs> on a pig. It was horrible, hardly yeah. functional. Um, yeah. but I was like, I just made money doing this. So like Love if I can it. make money on this dump, I can definitely make money on nicer stuff. So I got into wholesaling, you know, like assigning contracts, got yep. into flipping, um, and then, uh, you know, chase some shiny objects, all that kind of stuff. Got into some, uh, rental properties, partnered up with people who had cash. I did the work, they put up the money and we just kind of did equity splits. And then yep. in about 2015, 2016, I, um, just kind of started doing my own thing where, um, I would, uh, I did like a turnkey single family business where we were flipping single family homes, about 80 to hundred of those a year, started a big management company in Cleveland, uh, built that up and sold it over after a couple of years and just realized, you know, majority of my wealth in 2017, I sat back and I was like, I had a few hundred units in my portfolio. Um, and then I was doing the transactional stuff with the flips. And I just sat back and looked at my, my net worth and where was I spending my time and what, what I want out of life. And I sure. realized 90% of my net worth came from my apartments and it was like 10% of my time. So I remember going back into the office and just pivoting the entire team and saying, hey, we're no longer cut. To, I mean, just totally burn the ships with single family. We're no longer doing any of that. We're yep. only buying apartment buildings. And that's when I got a lot of momentum built up. So 2018, um, yeah, I, don't know, I guess over the next like six months, I picked up another three, 400 units. I was at like 600 doors. And then 2000, uh, June of 2018, I took down a portfolio of five buildings that um, just more than doubled my my unit count. So I picked up 730 doors. So it was at like 1,300 units. Um, and then in 2019, picked up another 2,000 doors. 2020, picked up another 1,000 doors. This year, we picked up about 550 doors, plus another couple of unique type of properties. Bought an island, bought a big estate up in a mountain up in uh, North Carolina. Outstanding. And, yeah. So, you know, just kind of our bread and butter is the apartments. I have a few office buildings, a few storage facilities, but 90% of, of my portfolio is like that workforce B class multifamily housing and secondary markets, mostly in the Southeast and the Sunbelt. 
I love it. I love it. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a simple business plan. When I explain it to the uninitiated, it's they're like, well, why don't you do this or this or this? And it's like, that's kind of that middle of the road stuff yeah, man. is just bread and butter. Maybe not the sexiest thing. It's not an Island, you know, yeah. to buy, which I definitely want to find out more about that. But, uh, yeah, I've had the same kind of epiphany over the years. It's like, ah, oh, this is really where all the, where all the wealth building is. And then also, you know, you look at COVID and all that stuff, like that sector held up real well, mm-hmm. you know, yep. if you're in it's, landlord friendly States. Um, yeah. The C-class stuff, we had some, some tenants game in the system, but like sure. I've sold off most of my C-class, everything under a hundred doors I've sold off. So Love I'm it. really just focused on that hundred units bigger than B-class kind of secondary cities. You know, I, I don't come from you know, wild money from New York or California or anything like I'm a, sure. again, a blue collar kid. So um, I, I can't really compete at four caps and five caps in yep. Miami and Dallas and some of those other markets. So, uh, you know, I stick to the Charleston's, the Cleveland's, the Savannah, Georgia, the, you know, Lafayette, Louisiana, Springfield, Illinois, I have a bunch of stuff in those areas. So. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And so how are you guys approaching property management for those types of assets, given that you're pretty geographically uh, diversified there? Yeah, man. So I, I, as you mentioned earlier, I've always been real active on social media and not really to uh, intentionally early on, it was just trying to share value. And then all of a sudden I got people saying, Hey, can I sell you a deal? Can I buy a deal from you? Can we joint venture on a deal? Right. And that turned into kind of like a coaching platform, which brought a lot of deal flow and a lot of money flow into my operation. So yep. uh, the reason I'm in 12 different States is because I've had joint venture partners, like students of mine that have brought me those opportunities. Love it. So we're kind of, you know, I got thousands of people bird dogging opportunities all over the country and we yep. cherry pick the ones that we really like and that beat our, our buy box. And so um, that's why I'm in 12 different States. So we have a local boots on the ground partner everywhere with obviously local management, leasing, maintenance. And then we layer that with a third party management company that'll charge three to 4%, depending on um, how many units we have with them. And then my team works remotely. They're headquartered out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, they do all the asset management remotely. Right. And so uh, it's got a, a few layers before it, it gets to me, which is nice. And um, uh, it, dude, we've done it, like you said, it's just cookie cutter. We've done it so many times that it's hard to pull the wool over our eyes. And we know exactly what we want. We, we have checklists and SOPs in place for everything that we're buying and how we're operating and all that stuff. So it's just very... Um, yeah, it's very predictable for us. Yeah, I love it. And that's a that's a great win-win approach to scaling other markets, right? You got people to come in, pay for coaching, which I, I think is if you're starting this business, you got to have a coach. And I think it's important to pay for it to show yourself and the coach that you're serious, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many free re- resources. This podcast is going to be free. Somebody can listen to this, get a lot of value. But if you're really going to go do it, you're going to buy that five, $10 million building, 100% you need a coach. And you can push the fast forward button with that. And then that allows them to win. They're getting educated. They're getting access to you, which is extremely valuable Then partnering with you. It's like a win-win all around. And then you're getting access to deals that you might not see because you're not, you know, boots on the ground every weekend in Savannah or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, I I, I love that. I love that approach. So you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, you're kind of shifting the focus there. Um, But let's get into the Island though, real quick. I got to hear about that, man. What, what, what's the, what's the story there? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, like I told you, I have a few other asset classes, about 10% of my portfolio is a few different asset classes. And it's, I got some small office buildings, more like micro offices, entrepreneurs without like a big team, just need to meet somewhere with clients and get the hell out of the house. Yep. Um, and then I have um, a little bit of mixed use retail type stuff with apartments above and retail on the ground floor, uh, a few storage facilities. And then I have a few vacation rentals. And the idea was, it, it, it came from like, 
how can I turn liabilities into assets? That's like been this, this philosophical shift for me over the past few years of like, how can I have my lifestyle? But I'm, I'm cheap, man. Like I am very frugal. I don't like to spend money. I shop at, and, and get super, like this is a $5 t-shirt that I'm wearing, right? And right. so um, uh, I, I don't, I'm not a big spender of money because I, I messed up when I was younger. When, when I was 2012, man, I went broke. I bought the Mercedes. I joined the private clubs and right. um, did all that kind of stuff. And so um, I don't know if it's PTSD because of that, or I'm just a better steward of capital today because of it. And I, I respect money a little bit more, but um, uh, for me, whenever there's a, a liability that I want, I want to try to figure out a way, how do I monetize this liability and turn it into an asset? So like I wanted, uh, you know, I got two little kids and I wanted a house down by Disney world. So I found some houses down by Disney world, bought one of them and for $490,000, put it on a vacation rental program. And then I'd go down there for two months in the winter time. And then a couple other times throughout the year with friends and family and just have like a second home down in Orlando. Um, and it kind of worked out. I, I structured it in a way that I, uh, you know, know better now, but like I essentially syndicated it. I, I got a loan, then I syndicated the down payment and it was just a lot of debt service and at a sure. higher rate than, than what it actually yielded. So I sold those off, uh, but, I, but I found this, this ridiculous mountain estate earlier this year, 12,000 square foot, unbelievable home in uh, Western North Carolina, um, up in the mountains, right in the Smoky Mountains. And um, got that one seller financed, 4% interest only 10 years. Outstanding. Syndicated the money on that. Sure. Uh, the down payment for my investors at 4% pref, which doesn't seem like a lot, but then they each got a week at the property also. Ah, nice. Which is worth about, it, it rents for around $15,000 a week, 20,000 yeah. in the summertime. So like there's, although it's not like money in their pocket, it's real value there. And we stepped into sure. a lot of equity. We bought it for 3 million. It's worth 5 million. So like it made a lot of sense, even though the pref was low. And so I was like, dang, this really makes, and I had people like knocking down my door, trying to get involved in that. I yep. had I only raised 800 grand. I had two and a half million dollars of people who wanted to commit. So yep. I was like, well, let me try it again. I looked for some beach houses down in, um, like I, I live in Charleston, South Carolina now. So I'm very familiar with this area. I looked for some beach houses and uh, was looking down the coast and I found um, a house on actually some acreage. I was even looking for a beach house or plantation homes. And I found a house on, on 100, 110 acres. And I was like, where is, I couldn't find the address. It was, it was zero Rose Island. I was like, oh, <laughs> it's because it's an island, right? It's the entire <laughs> island, 110 acres of uplands that is buildable, already parceled with a four bed, four by four and a half bath house on there with a dock, infrastructure, everything. Dude, 110 um, acres is no joke, man. That's some dirt. Dude, uh, um, Richard Branson's Necker Island is only 74 acres. There you go. So there you go. winning, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, obviously. Got to beat there. <laughs> no, no. But, and then there's 350 acres of, of marshlands around it. So it's like, Dude, it's like a conservation easement. It's an inland island. It's not like out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. It's right next to Hilton Head Island, if you're familiar okay. with that area, South Carolina. Um, Paris Island, right where the Marines train and all that stuff. So it's like right there, but you can see the ocean. Uh, it's surrounded by some rivers and it's like all conservation easements. And um, I was like, hey, I always wanted to own an island. It's been on my list for 15 years, right? My bucket list. Right. And I was like, well, I can't totally monetize the house. House right. is nice, but it's not like extravagant enough to you know, charge somebody $2,000 a night for it. Um, so I was like, what, what else can I do? And I looked at a lot of different options, a lot of different uh, things that we could do. And I thought, Hey, maybe I'll build out some cabins, cottages, maybe do an event pavilion or something at the one end of it. And, um, and then somebody's like, Hey, check out like these, these canvas safari tents. 
and look into those like glamping style right. and I into that and dude they are one tenth the price of what it would cost me to build out an actual cabin or cottage you don't sure. have to go through all the zoning garbage uh the insurance yeah. is nothing on them right and if they if big bad wolf comes over blows them over then it's it's all in the infrastructure anyway so like i could buy a new tent for three grand and, and throw it back up and um uh, so it just made so much sense. So we're, that's what we're doing. We're going to build out a bunch of glamping style, like safari tents. They're nice. Like they have bathrooms in them. They have, uh, they're going to have, uh, like air conditioning and heating units in them. They'll have, um, and I don't know if I'm going to go with that in all of them, but there's going to be suites that are really, really nice. And there's going to be other ones that are just nice tents and, um, you know, so everything in between with like little campsites and, uh, pavilions and all that kind of stuff. So essentially keeping it as natural as I possibly can sure. while figuring out a way to monetize it. And dude, the financials on it, the way that we played it was super conservatively. It's like sure. a 13% cap rate on it at our cost basis. So it. It, I think it's going to cash flow like a monster. And if we start, if we build out a few more campsites, it turns into like astronomical cash flow numbers. So, um, you know, I do that's, and that's kind of what I'm doing. So I'm selling off actually the, the storage units, um, selling off the office buildings. I'm keeping 90% of my portfolio as these B-class apartments. Like sure. you said, not sexy, but it's very predictable, very easy, almost boring. And you know, when it's boring, yep. it prints money. Love and then it. I'm doing some of the sexy stuff, like these very unique assets, uh, like an island, like a mountain house. I'm looking at a couple other kind of beach uh, type things that are more front of the brochure. They look nice and they right. have some functionality aspects to it and lifestyle advantages for the investors that want to uh, invest in it. So like I'm doing the island the same way that I did the mountain house where I pay, um, I got, I got it seller financed. I'm paying a 4% prep to the investors, but then they can come and use the house once a year and they can use the tents whenever they're, they're vacant. So like, especially if it's somebody local to North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia area, they can really get a lot of, uh, a lot of use out of it and say, Hey, I own part of an Island. So it's kind yeah, of how neat, cool you know? is that? Yeah. That that's irreplaceable, right? Anybody can be an LP in the next 1984, <laughs> Uh, 200 unit apartment complex, which is great. We yeah. all want to do it, but yeah. uh, not a lot of us have a piece of an island. That is that is such a cool story, and I love this. I love the tents. Yeah, 3K to throw up a tent. Hurricane knocks it over. Whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, there's some infrastructure, right? I got to put in like septic and well, and I'm gonna do a little sure. solar field, and I got to yep. build some decks and all that stuff. But like, that can't get that messed up from uh, from a hurricane, um, or, Any... or high winds or anything like that. But like the tent <laughs> itself, yeah. Yeah. Exotic animals coming on the island. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that. I, I dude, I know nothing about farming, but yeah. um, you know, I had some people, my broker actually, his, uh, his family owns in a farm of like exotic chickens and stuff. He's like, dude, okay. you can have, I'm going to give you a credit of a thousand dollars buy as many as you want. I was like, uh, it's people are like, listen, you just want hens, you know, only have one or two roosters. Right. Cause otherwise it's going to be, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm learning about all of that. They used to have some horses on there. They used to have yeah. um, some goats and stuff on there. Some pe people are telling me, you know, I should get like al alpacas or something like that yeah. or whatever. So yeah, I'm, I'm considering that it has, it's, it's actually zoned right now, agricultural land. And I need to like Beautiful. maintain that in order to keep the taxes down. Tax exemption. Um, yeah. Yep. And so I'll probably do something along those lines. I don't know exactly what that, what that's going to play out to be, but yeah, absolutely. What we do down in Texas is we put exotic animals on our ranch and they're, uh, they're hundred percent right off year one and then they reproduce. So the investment's just growing and growing and eventually you can sell them. So, right. you know, and then in the meantime, we get to enjoy them, you know, go down to the ranch and look at zebras and stuff and everybody gets yeah. a kick out of it. That's so, awesome. you know, I, I, I'm like you, man, I want to, I want to find a way to do the stuff I, I want to do 
accomplish my dreams and how can we make it make money? You know, mm-hmm. it's such a, that's such a fun game to play. Like there's no better game to play than yeah. figuring out how do we make a business around whatever it is you, you want to do. Right. It, well, it keeps so. the creative, the creative aspect of being an entrepreneur, right? Like I'm not yes. really the corporate guy that once it gets too structured and too uh, uh, just the same redundancy, like just over and over the same thing, mundane over and over mm-hmm. again, it just kind of gets boring for me and I'm, I'm looking right. for something else, but I realize that that, that, is where you make the most money, you know? So I don't want to sure. like stray too far, but like these unique assets, I have the team who understands vacation rentals, short-term rentals and, and all those things. And so uh, that, that kind of keeps that spark of excitement going for me. And I, I really, I, I like that. So my team really handles, man, all the, uh, all the B-class apartment buildings. Sure. And I kind of quarterback these, these new unique acquisitions. Yeah. And kudos on being able to separate that, right? Cause that's hard. Somebody's got to charge over the hill first. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's you, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't mean your skill set is necessarily reviewing the budget variance reports every month and, and making sure, you know, that's like, those are kind of two different skill sets. And, you know, I know you've built a, a team over the years to handle that stuff. And you're, you just kind of do the stuff that you're, that you're good at and that you enjoy at this mm-hmm. point. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think when you're early on in your journey, um, like I know there's, there's a lot of people I'm sure that watch this, this podcast that want to be operators of commercial real estate. Right. Sure. And I think early on in the journey, uh, you, you know, you get your hands on a lot of different things, right? You're, you are the COO, you're the chief investment officer, you're the acquisition Marketing. director, yeah, yeah. you're doing everything. Right. Yep. And, um, and then eventually you realize like, what is my behavioral type and what am I good at? Like what, are, and, and then you, all of a sudden you start staffing out and you find somebody to do the things that maybe you're not as skilled at. We can all do it a little bit. Right. Um, but it's a more of a drainer activity on some of those things for, for some of us. Right. And so I found a COO that's amazing at spreadsheets and SOPs and KPIs and all the other analytics and metrics and uh, for building a team and growing uh, an organization and measuring the performance of the, of the assets. And then I'm the marketing guy, right? Like I love being out, um, talking at events and being on podcasts and posting on social media. And that drives deal flow for the team. That drives for sure. investors for the team. That drives, you know, resources, connections, um, you know, vendors, suppliers, all those kinds of things for my operation side. And so uh, I found out what I'm really good at. I know what I'm really good at. I stay in my lane and I've staffed out people and partnered with people who can, compliment what I'm not good at. Right. And we, 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 we compliment each other really well, but we're not dancing on each other's strengths. And we all know our, our role and our um, responsibilities in our organization. And dude, when you do that, one plus one equals three, right. You can right. accomplish way more because you're doing the stuff that you like, which means you're getting better and better at it. And the better you get at it, the more you like it, which means just like, it's this amazing spiral of, of momentum that you can get in whatever that task and that activity is. And so we've become very compartmentalized of, of what we do. And, um, it's, it's helped us grow substantially. Yeah. I love it. It's so, you know, th- there's a book, uh, rocket fuel from mm-hmm. the guy that wrote, uh, traction that book's got a lot of, uh, a lot of traction, I suppose the word for it, <laughs> but that book's pretty popular. And so that rocket fuel idea is that you have the visionary and then you have the integrator. That's kind of your COO role. How, when did you know you needed that COO person and how did you go about finding them? Yeah. So, uh, good question. I, uh, you know, I, dude, I remember early on when I was doing everything, right. When I right. first started 20, when well, I bought my first property in 09, bought my first apartment in 2012, but I was still doing everything up until like 2015, like everything, right. right? Sourcing deals, overseeing contracts, swinging the hammer, sometimes myself collecting rent, uh, showing up at eviction court, all of it, all of um, it. Yeah. 
And, and I was like, I, I couldn't understand how does somebody build a team? I was like, I just couldn't wrap my head around. How do you get a hundred employees? And I remember going out to a mastermind event in, in February of 2015. And, and uh, the people in the room are like, dude, just hire an assistant. Just start with an assistant. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. But you know, I, I, I made like a little over a hundred thousand dollars in 2014. Right. And then I was like, I can't afford a $40,000 assistant. Yeah. They're like, listen, it's not $40,000. It's $3,000 a month. Can you afford $3,000 a month? Love it. And if you can't like, like, can you risk six grand, $9,000? If it doesn't work, then guess what, Tim, you can go back to banging your head against the wall. Yep. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's a different way of looking at it. I can do that. And so I, um, I hired that assistant March 1 of 2000. Uh, 15. And in the next 10 months, man, I made $400,000 because they took all the non-revenue generating activities off my plate. And I could just focus on the revenue generating activities, which was essentially sourcing deals, raising yep. money and refining our operations or whatever your dispositions method is. And then I, I ended up hiring an intern. And then I ended up, there was somebody that I co-wholesaled with that ended up coming on as our like, uh, uh, like our uh, operations director. And now he's my COO. And, uh, and so I just kind of hired everybody almost at like an assistant level, no, knowing what their kind of behavioral type was right. and thinking I'm not hiring them for this. I'm hiring them for the next two roles in advance. And that's always been my philosophy of uh, hiring somebody low. So that way they don't expect, you know, a C-level executive salary right out of the gate. And sure. at the same time, they can work their way up. They can show me that they're going to perform and do more than what they get paid for in order to make an investment in their future. And I will recognize that. And I tell them early on, I said, if you crush this, there is a lot of growth potential here. And I, and I like, like uh, I'll give you an example, my education. I just hired an operations person uh, January 1 of this year. Right. I gave her a 50% salary increase after four months of working with us. Wow. And then I'm about to give her another, uh, it'll be about yeah, it'll be about 60% salary increase again, three months, four months after that. So it's like, if somebody performs, the vaults are open. You know what I mean? hundred um, percent. All the counts is results, right? Mm -hmm. All the mm -hmm. counts is results. And if we know how to it, make money, right? And so yeah. if, if you find somebody who's, in, especially today, right? It's very difficult to find um, great employees, more so in, in, in probably in the lower entry level type position, like the maintenance and that kind of stuff. But yep. uh, dude, if you got, if you got a caliber talent, there's plenty of options for them to go no around. Doubt. So if you find yep. somebody who's, who's a rock star, you got to make sure you treat them well, make sure that um, sometimes it's not always about money. Sometimes sure. it is. Sometimes it's about hey fulfillment, personal growth, personal development, opportunities to grow and uh, connections and, and being in the limelight or whatever, being appreciated is, is a, a big one too. So yeah, I think, I think just, um, you know, paying attention, building up that culture, knowing that we're a family as we're growing and we got big ambitions, um, you know, moving forward. And I think that's really, really important in order to build up your team the right way. I love it. Yeah. There's so, so much good information there. And I, um, I love what you said about the risk because as entrepreneurs, yeah, you're looking at the, the year of a salary and then you're adding your taxes and your load, maybe another 25% mm -hmm. on top of that, what it's going to cost you. And that's a big daunting number. And the person might not even work out but it's a three month risk. You know, can you afford to gamble three months to try it out? And you're going to know in three months, whether or not sure. you made the right decision. And I, and I love that that breaks it down, de-risks it for the entrepreneur and kind of allows you to move forward. So you mentioned that the coaching program, um, what, what would, well, let me see, what do you say to folks that are coming in don't have a ton of experience buying apartment buildings or whatever they want to get in and, and become operators. What are some of the common mistakes you see that 
maybe somebody listening to this, that's in that position could benefit from hearing, cause you've coached a lot of people, you're in a lot mm-hmm. of deals, you know, across the country. What, what are some of the recurring themes that you see of that, that newbie coming in? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, one of the first ones that, that comes to mind is a lot of the people that I, I don't coach necessarily like newbies totally. Like there are sure. some people who have never done a deal ever and they want to get straight into apartments. Most of the people that come to me have a single family business flipping houses or wholesaling houses, or they have a rental portfolio of 70 single family homes and they're looking right. to get into more scale. Um, right. So like they already understand business. They already understand the mindset. I don't have to deal with like, uh, like the blame game and the victim mentality that a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs then, then uh, you know, have to face when they go through that. So, so fortunately that's good. But one of the things, because they are in the single family game, they're used to owning a hundred percent of the deal. Right. And, and it's a solo sport, right? It's like tennis yep. or it's like, you know what I mean? Um, or golf. Right. And then all of a sudden they come into multifamily and it's a team sport and they're right. like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm only going to get 20% of the equity in this deal. I'm only getting 5% of the equity in this deal. Like, right. They, and, and they, they end up bottlenecking themselves Yes. because they think about this deal. And I'm like, listen, it's not about this deal. It's about what does this deal do to set you up for the next 10 deals or the next hundred deals that you can take down because you, you have a percentage of GP ownership in this first deal. And by the way, there's a lot of nuances, man. It's, it's a different business doing single family than multifamily. So like you got to learn this whole thing and, and, you know, you're going to be able to link arms with somebody who's got experience of thousands and thousands of doors and blah, 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 yep. blah. So I, I think it's really important for people to realize that uh, it's not about this deal, right? It's about the next, what does this deal set you up for? And right. it's a team sport. And what I love is that it's, it's a bigger piece of the pie. You know, it's like you can have a hundred percent of a grape. That's okay. Or you can have a quarter of a watermelon. There's a lot more juice in the squeeze of a quarter of a watermelon. Right. And you got to be okay taking a smaller percentage because then you could focus on what you're really good at. Somebody else can focus on what they're good at. Exactly what we were talking about before, Devin. And, um, and I think, again, one plus one equals three. You can accomplish more that way if everybody stays in their lane. Uh, and that's why we've been able to grow so much, right? And so um, you got to have, you know, get out of that scarcity mindset and have more right. of an abundance mentality is a big deal with, with getting into the multifamily stuff. I love it. And, and then now you're playing the watermelon game which is very different than the grape game. Cause if you can get, I mean, I got really freaking good at the grape game and bang my head against the wall for years and and flipped hundreds of houses and it made money, but it was, it didn't set me up until I got a a little piece of that watermelon game. And once I was on that track, I mean, my first deal was a six unit by myself in the bank. The second deal was syndication, 75 units. I owned a comically small GP piece of that deal. And put more time and energy into that deal than any deal since. But now I'm playing that game and it sets you up to where, you know, now we can go buy whatever $30 million deal. And I, I'm the only partner on it or whatever the case mm-hmm. is. Right. So it just sets you up for that game that is going to be such a bigger game long-term. And, and I, you know, there's a, there's an analogy. I don't know if it's true or not, but if a, a monkey will reach into a tree and grab something, grab a something in a nut in the tree and he'll die there because he won't pull his fist out. Cause you don't want to let go of the thing he's got. Right. It's like, people just can't let go yeah. of the, you know, yeah. you, you got to kind of expand beyond that. And it's such a powerful thing too, to see when people grasp that concept that listen, just get in this game, get on this track. Maybe you're just putting up some earnest money, you know, and getting a little tiny piece of it. Maybe you're just, uh, maybe you're just raising a little capital for this deal, but now you're, you're on a team that's doing the big things and 
you want to be in that position in the beginning. You don't want the responsibility to run that whole thing your first time out. Like that, that's, that is not, not, not wise, you know, for, for anybody to go do that, but you're at least getting on the train that's going to the place you want to go. And mm-hmm. that's, that's super powerful. And then you can grow your share of the GP over time, you know, mm-hmm. yep. over, I, over I agree hundred percent, man. Like I, if you have hundred percent of the ownership, you got hundred percent of the responsibility. You got hundred percent right. of the liability, all of yes. all the questions, all the headaches fall on your shoulders. Right. And, uh, guess what? They get bigger. There's more zeros behind them when, when you're dealing with bigger commercial properties. So it's just better to have a team and put a couple of heads together and you're going to have way more success by being able to bounce ideas and just kind of partner up with people um, and, and just accomplish more, man. So that's, uh, that's, that's probably the biggest bottleneck that I see with a lot of people getting into multifamily is that, that scarcity mindset, getting over that, and then getting into the more abundance mindset of, of sharing a piece of the pie. Yep. hundred percent. So we're talking mid 2021 right now, you know, COVID obviously was a, was a wild ride of a year. And then now kind of coming out the other side of it, we're seeing huge asset price increases, inflation, we're seeing rent growth, all that stuff. What do you guys see kind of for the next year for your core multifamily business? Obviously there's going to be some exciting new projects that you're probably spearhead that you don't even, you know, haven't even, uh, come across yet, but for the multifamily stuff, you know, we're in a competitive market. What do you guys see for the next year or two in, in front of you in that space? Yeah, man, I think, uh, uh, you know, none of us have a crystal ball, right? Of course. And yep. if you talk to speculators and, and the economists in, in January of 2020 and what 2020 was going to look like, every single one of them would have been wrong, right? Dead so, wrong. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't like to speculate of where the market's going, but you know, I mean, I mean, the market's good. I think there is real demand in the marketplace. You know, I don't think it's um, fake like it was 13, 14, 15 years sure. ago. Sure, huge think, distinction. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a very different marketplace. Uh, there's a huge, there's huge demand. You know, prices of money, money, the cost of capital is super cheap. So you can that's that's why it's driving prices up of, of assets. Um, right. There's a lot of inflation going on in the stock market. People want to pull out and they want to put into fixed assets, right? And so like. Whenever there's demand, there's going to be price increases. So I, I do see that happening. Um, uh, you know, I, I, we're getting involved in a lot of different projects from a standpoint of like, we're buying some, some things that are already existing. And I, I prefer that because the fastest way to buy in, to get into cash flow is to buy into cash flow, right? Right. Uh, but we're also building some things too because we realize we don't have as much equity and as much upside in the existing assets as we do maybe if we build something. So we're, we're buying some stuff that already has like the infrastructure roads and sewers and um, electrical and all that stuff in place. And we can essentially go in and go vertical in a pretty short amount of time and have it have it occupied. So we're doing a little bit of that. Uh, we have, I don't know, probably four or five development deals going on right now. Um, and then we're just, we're figuring out how to restructure our projects. So my, my, I mean, you and I have, you know, had a drink at the bar and talked about uh, how I structure, which is a little bit different than traditional syndication. Sure. I, I buy typically um, heavier value add type properties that have more potential and, and ability to, to push appreciation, force appreciation through the sweat equity. Sure. Um, now there's obviously some additional risks in that because you know you got to be really good with management and construction. Um, but I'm able to be into a, a $10 million building for 7 million bucks. And then my model is the, essentially the Burr method, buy, renovate, rent, refinance. And so I, I uh, you know, stabilize that asset in 12 to 24 months. And then we refinance it at that higher valuation you know, I get a 75% loan, which allows me to pay back the acquisition financing, pay back all my investors, their capital, and then, you know, carve up some refinance proceeds amongst everybody. And then we hold on to the property for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Our back's not against the wall anymore. 
those deals are a little bit uh, harder to come by or they're more distressed than what I want to deal with. Right sure. Now. Sure. So I, I think the, the creative entrepreneur, the create, the person who could creatively structure deals and look at things from a different angle and figure out what do the investors want? They have money. Uh, like I, I'll give you an example. I got a bunch of investors who have boatloads of, um, you know, they're selling more houses that, you know, they're in the single family game and they're making more money than they've ever made selling three, four, 500 houses. And they have multiple millions of dollars of income and tax liability that comes with sure. that. They're right. looking for depreciation and they're full-time real estate professionals. So now I, maybe I can sell them some more depreciation where I don't have to pay as high of a pref. I can give them more depreciation in a deal. Love and because it. of that, I can get into a $10 million deal for $10 million without having to, um, uh, you know, ha have my back against the wall and, and create all this appreciation and all that kind of stuff. So we're doing some more like creative things like that and really um, looking at some different angles of what kind of financing is available. What are our LPs and our, our passive investors looking for? Uh, what kind of deals are out there? You know, can we get the seller to carry back 10% of it? Maybe if, the, if they'll do that at 0% interest for 10 years or whatever, however long the primary debt term is, then guess what? Maybe I can pay them $10 million for their $10 million building and not have to try to beat them up on price or um, have to take on these heavier value adds. So, you know, we're just doing things like that. And, uh, you know, going back full circle to your question though, is like, I'm not looking for home runs. I'm just looking for base hits. If there's a good deal that comes across our desk, dude, we're taking it down. I think baseball yep. games are one with base hits, not for swing, right. not, not by swinging for the fences. Right. Right. And so we just want base hit after base hit. And you know what happens is some of those base hits turn into doubles and triples and they do turn into home runs. Uh, but realistically, if I just get base hit after base hit, like I'm here in the long game, just like you are. Right. And, and so it's not, I don't need grants lambs in order to feed my family this, this year. I just need base hit after base hit. Cause I know with enough appreciation, enough time, appreciation will come pay principal pay down will come. And all of a sudden we're sitting on hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of equity over the course of the next 20 to 30 years. Base hits win games, man. I love it. Especially at, at this, you know, where we are with whatever's going on with the market, you've built a team, you've built the system, you've, you've taken your lumps many years ago, it, you know, that kind of experience is irreplaceable mm -hmm. and you're using it now to get into, to continue to get into deals. I love it. Absolutely love it, man. Um, Tim, thank you for sharing some of your story here. I know there's there's plenty of other stuff. We could we could do a 10-hour podcast if uh if time allowed. If somebody wants to connect with you, learn about your coaching, learn about your company, etc., you know, what's a good place for them to do that? Yeah, man, I appreciate that. No, thank you again for for having me on. It's always easy to talk to you, man. You're a great conversationalist. And I appreciate all the value that you're putting out here. Um, yeah, if anybody wants to connect, just hit me up on Facebook or Instagram. I'm, I'm most active on those two platforms. Uh, or you can go to my website, LegacyWealthHoldings.com and uh, you know, connect with me there too to shoot me a message or let us know kind of what, how we can help and any resources we can share and connect you, you know, happy to point you in the right direction and um, offer any insights that I possibly can. So yeah, buddy, I appreciate you again having me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for jumping on, Tim. We'll link to it in the show notes. You guys listening can click that link and, and follow through there and connect with Tim. Um, listen, man, wish you continued success and uh, it's great to catch up. We'll, we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. Right. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. I hope you found that educational, entertaining, inspiring, all of the above. If you are interested in seeing future DJE investment projects, and you are not already on our list and in our portal, uh, you can go to the website, djetexas.com. There's a little button there to schedule a 15-minute call with our team, answer any questions you have, and make sure you get on that list to see that next project that comes out. Also, if you're interested in being 
uh, an investor that runs these deals, we've got a free seven-module course for you at apartmenteducators.com. A lot of great free content there to ramp up your education in the multifamily investing space. Once again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We always appreciate a five-star review. That helps the reach of the show. That's one way you can give back if you enjoyed it. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.